Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hello, and welcome back to the Des Bishop Podcast. Isn't it wonderful? Two weeks in a row. When was the last time we achieved that? Anyway, it's great to be back. This week we have a great chat with Stephen Mullen, who is a comedian who's actually been um, joining me on the road for this uh, second half of the Take the Points tour. And we've gotten to know each other recently. He was a guest on The Shift, which is a very different vibe to this interview in that... On the shift, it was a proper filth fest, and it was great fun. But today, uh, we chat about. Well, actually, it was it was last it was last Saturday, on our way to Drahada, in the car, and I wanted to ask him about the story behind his show, "Son of a Preacher Man," which uh, he did in Edinburgh this year. And you know, I I, I didn't know that much about Steve's backstory other than. He his dad was a, was a preacher, like a born again preacher, and he grew up with that. And I also knew that at some stage of his life, he had had like some sort of breakdown. Those are the only two things I knew, and so I just wanted to kind of ask him because I haven't seen Son of a Preacher Man, so I wanted to ask him uh, the story behind that show and um, just a bit about his life. And I, I I have to say I was taken aback. It was it was. It was more in-depth than I was expecting. I mean, it is a real journey through uh, a, troubled, a troubled childhood and into, uh, you know, into, I guess you could call the second half of his life, which is, you know, uh, riddled with wonderful achievement, overcoming adversity, and eventually uh, beginning to raise his own family. So this is a chat with Stephen Mullen. And I'll be, I'll be back on to you after the app. Well, we're off, Steve. Yeehaw! This is one of our, um, this is one of our driving podcasts. You know, it's always good fun. Uh, so this is Stephen Mullen, who, uh, I guess, you're pretty new in the comedy game. Yeah, I'm, I'm certainly new. I mean, I mean, yeah, I'm new overall. I'm going three and a half years but, but I'm going three and a half three and a half years in <laughs> and even shorter in Ireland because I'm only two years in Ireland um, but uh, you've been opening up for me on the <clears throat> on the second half particularly of this tour uh-huh. you have your own podcast yep Hello Steve-O podcast the Hello Steve-O podcast which is also your which is also your Instagram all the branding and, and um, I was saying I was saying that I wanted to uh, get you on as a regular contributor on the Des Bishop podcast so that we could keep it going. But I thought, first we should get to know you a bit, you know? Yeah. Who is this guy? Who is this uh, this Stephen Mullen guy? And uh, so here we are. You know, you've got a pretty interesting backstory. 
Yeah, it's. Uh, <clears throat> I mean, first and foremost, you're you're raised in Ireland, but was your mother's Portuguese? My mother is Argentinian. Oh, Argentinian. Argentinian. Sorry, sorry. It's all the same, Dan. <laughs> I get confused because yeah, my partner is Portuguese. Yes, and you've yes, been on the shift when we were talking. You know, you yes. were on the shift podcast. We we're talking yeah. about your. Your your missus, uh, who's Portuguese. Sorry. So your mother's Argentinian. Yeah, my mom's my mom's from Buenos Aires. Yeah, and uh, so definitely the household was. Uh, I yeah she. But you grew up in Cork, though. Right? I grew up in Cork. Yeah, Middleton. Middleton, East Cork, um, in. Uh, well, I was actually born in um, in Tipperary, in Clonmel, because my dad was living out in the countryside of South Tipperary at the time. He had just brought my mother back from Argentina. They'd just been married, and he was. Where did they meet? They met on a ship. They met on a ship. This doesn't sound like anything like Scientology at all. Now, <laughs> they both they both worked on a ship that was spreading the good news of Jesus around the world. Oh, okay. So, yeah. so, so sorry. Actually, because I, I I was going to ask you. Yeah. When did your dad become like super Christian? But so they they met through Christianity. Well, um. Yeah, they met through Christianity. My dad had become a, a Christian before. <clears throat> before he met my mother so my dad's background is he's uh, originally from Cove actually um, in Cork and he when he was he left at 16 for the, the merchant navy and his dad was in the merchant navy so that was kind of family the tradition family thing yeah and um, as part of his apprenticeship for the college part of it so you worked away at sea but for, for the college part of it you'd go to Glasgow so his nautical school was in Glasgow and he hung out in Glasgow quite a bit and he just <clears throat> He became good friends with a guy who was a, a Christian in Like a born again. Yeah, a born again Christian in um, in Glasgow. And that was kind of the beginning of it for my dad. And he, as soon as he finished, so he qualified as a navigator and he just wanted to get more and more involved in, uh, in Christian work, essentially. And um, he joined this crew called Op- OM, Operation Mobilization, who at the time, I don't know, they are still going now, but at the time they had two ships. This is in the 70s. Two ships that were traveling the world, spreading the good news. So, were they also shipping goods, or it was literally just no, to literally spread just the, that. Yeah, yeah. They and were just they were just shipping the, the the good news of the gospel. Shipping shipping Bibles, literally. I'm not even joking. Like they would they would they would come into ports and be shipping Bibles uh, wherever they went. Um, so he was just a missionary, straight exactly, up, exactly missionary, a, a, yeah. a floating missionary. Yeah, yeah. And uh, my and then from my mother's side, so I d- I don't quite know where where my dad joined. The ship, the um, I can't remember if they were on the, the OM, the OM ship. They're on both ships. One's called the Logos, one's called the Doulos. I I don't remember which one they were on. To be honest with you, I think they're on the Logos. But um, so I don't quite remember or don't know where my dad joined. But my mum had essentially kind of run away from home in Buenos Aires and kind of had had enough and just signed up on a whim. And she lived on it for three years. Oh, she so she she lived on an OM ship. Yeah, for three years. Yeah, um, traveling the world and. Um, she was part of the music group, so she was a good singer, and um, they would, you know, wh- wherever they landed, you know, there was always, obviously church going on all the time on the ship, but wherever they landed, they, they had a music group that could help in people's churches and stuff like that, and um, it was, uh, yeah, so that's what she did for three years, and that's where she met wow. my dad. Yeah. Wow, that must have been, that's almost, it's almost like uh like wild, wild country in a way, like you feel like you're just sort of stuck on this ship amidst all these people with these similar beliefs i mean similar beliefs and people from all over the world so it wasn't just you know obviously my dad was irish my mom was argentinian but there was people from all over the world there was there was people from asia from all over south america central america and um, european so 
They and they're all volunteers. They weren't really getting paid. And when you ask your when you ask your because I know I know you you know you ended up doing the the show Son of a Preacher Man, which yes, obviously we're going to talk about different elements of that. But when you were when you talk to your dad nowadays about that time, does he talk about it positively or does he say it was weird or it no. only it only strengthened his faith? What was the experience for him? I think uh, for my mom and dad, they hold that time very dearly, very close to their hearts, to be honest with you. Right, and, okay. Um, so there was nothing weird about it? No, it was, you know, I don't think that they would necessarily agree with everything that uh, the, the belief system or the way that their beliefs were carried out at the time or that style of being a missionary, uh, you know. Yes. But, but it was of its time, you know. And yes. They met each other on the ship. They still have good friends that they keep in contact with. My mom went to Buenos Aires uh, the summer just past. Um, for a reunion of, I think, 30 years of since a lot of them had joined the ship, or since the last time the ship had been in Buenos Aires, I think. And that was when my mum had joined. So she went back and met, you know, I think there was 40 or 50 people that she was on the ship with at the time. So I think at the time, like, having a faith like that was a really big deal as well. It was it was a way of getting out of the, the, the shitty situation. They were, well, certainly my mum, the shitty situation that she was in, you know. She kind of... And she still to this day... I love her very much, but she—I wouldn't call her the most open-minded of individuals at times. Oh, um, you think that part of that is the Christian thing? Um, I think that uh, she's held on to her faith like it's—it's it's her lifeblood, and that can have negative effects as well. I think yeah, you know because sure. you, you can't see other angles, you can't see other people's points of view. That is not my mother's strength. My dad would be—it was funny. Um, some of the descriptions of Gay Byrne and his recent passing, and. Um, how they said that he was so open-minded and he drove the national conversation forward and he was quite liberal in that but in himself he was quite a, quite conservative. Quite a conservative yeah, yeah, man yeah that was the description of gay yeah, yeah and and I, th- I would I would think of my dad like that as well you know he's he is a very open-minded thinking guy but in his own personal life I would say he was quite conservative my mum wouldn't be so open-minded in her thinking <laughs> right um, but you know you know Maybe, well, who knows why, and yeah. it's stupid to guess why, but I guess because in a way, she was more saved. She completely was saved. She wasn't in a particularly nice, she had a really tough upbringing, really tough. She was raised by Italian immigrants, um, uh, Italian immigrants to Buenos Aires, so my nona had moved to Buenos Aires in the 30s, um, and they were, you know, they were poor and they had a tough upbringing, but my mum's not their biological kid, and she's oh. actually the... She is the daughter of a very poor farmhand in the north of Argentina, and she was just kind of taken down to Buenos Aires on a whim, basically. And this Italian immigrant couple weren't able to have babies, and she kind of got said, "Well, do you want to take this kid?" Kind of a thing. Wow. And my my Nona was like Lord Resto, but she was not nice to to my mom, even even up as far as you know, she passed away um, in two thousand and two, so a while ago now. But like they were still screaming down the phone to each other, and you know, and that was her adopted mother. That was her adopted mother. Yeah, she was a very anxious person, and I think always worrying about stuff like money and all that stuff, as as immigrant families were in in those yes. times. And um, but that kind of manifests itself in 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 kind of a weird jealousy for my mom. But she used to like beat the shit out of my mom and stuff like that, and you know that. That meant that what my mum's faith meant to her in her own personal life is a very... She clings on to that for yes, dear life. sure. It was her way out, you know? Yeah, and I guess it brought it brought the opposite of all the shit she hated. It brought safety, for sure, focus, yeah. sense of hope. Absolutely. Probably, like, belonging. Yeah, she, so be you're huge. told that Jesus loves you, you know, yeah. no matter what. Then you have someone to pray to, to talk to every time, and then you're part of a community of people that love you as well, you know. 
for me it would be difficult to live on a ship you know for, for most people it would be for three years but you know that was that was she she's no siblings you know so that was her family you yeah, know yeah yeah and so that that's understandable safety. yeah for sure so so your your dad uh so they came back to ireland but when did your dad become a preacher um he they got married in 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 buenos aires they spent a year there and they were kind of weighing up whether they would live in Argentina or live in Ireland. And my dad had a real, as he would say, a heart for wanting to be involved in, in ministry, essentially. And they moved back, they moved to Ireland, and he basically went to the Irish Bible School at the time, which was in Tipperary in a place called Colebrook in the, the middle of nowhere in the sticks. like. And he trained there, and that's where, well, well he was training there to be, um, I think it was Christian philosophy, I think is what he trained in. Um, that's where my brother and I were born. Right, and that's, ba I mean, I guess Christian philosophy is basically how can you turn all of anything that has life, meaning in life, into yeah. a, a some, something from the Bible, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so when he moved to Tipperary, he began his studies to become a, a, a preacher, essentially. And my brother and I were born there at the time, and that was also tough times. My mum tells the story of there was one point... I think there was no, there was like there was no carpet on the floor, and there was no ceiling in the cottage that they were living in and stuff. So that's where me, me, my brother and I were first living. And my mom always tells the story of when they had fifty pence, and the debate was whether they should buy milk with it or send their letter to Argentina. <laughs> and and they weren't because they weren't making money to 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 study or any of that stuff. So they lived off the donations of people essentially. Oh right, okay. Um, that's how. So 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 the 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 Christian group are sort of. Yes, funding their education. Yeah, and my, my my dad is like, I mean, we were kind of raised on that, really. Um, so then he went to uh, he he. And by the way, just before we continue, because uh -huh. I assume you're doing a show about it, your dad's comfortable with you chatting away about him. And his oh, life. absolutely, man. Yeah, yeah. Because the because the arc story of the show is that my dad is just happy I'm alive. To be honest with you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, which we'll get to that yeah, too. Yeah, yeah. Coming soon. Steve yeah. falls apart. <laughs> but anyway, um, sorry. So, you, so he. What, what the, he was in Bible school. Yes, he was in Bible school um, and living off the goodness to, uh, of others, essentially. He finished that and he um, got a job, basically, with the Cork Baptist Church, which was on, on McCurtain Street, actually. And um, he uh, <clears throat> he used to evangelize in the street a bit as well. Really? I, for, I, forgot to, I forgot to say that in the show last night, but I do remember as a... I, must, I couldn't have been more than three. I remember sitting on a on a crate next to him as he was evangelizing and he had this whole <laughs> painting thing and there was this drunk in the street and my dad is like you know Jesus loves you and he's walking like Jesus is a bollocks Jesus is a fucking bollocks like <laughs> and, uh, and and the drunk fella coming over to me then going how are you little fella he's like why is he not talking to me and my dad was like because he, he's scared of you step back please <laughs> you actually remember that I remember that wow, vividly I remember um a drunk guy coming into the church on McCurtain Street one evening. There was a Sunday evening service going on, and my dad um, taking him out, bringing him to the chipper a couple of doors down, and buying him some chips. And um, I remember the size of this guy. He was huge. Like I suppose he was to me as a little kid as well. I probably was four or five for that one. But he was a big, big, fat guy, long hair. And I remember he's like his poor guy. He's you know smelt of urine and whatever else and my dad he said I want ketchup and my dad went up to the counter and for a moment I was just left there sitting at the table <laughs> eating chips with this homeless guy but <laughs> that was um, 
that was the kind of stuff that we had growing up. So um, you grew up around that, and I grew up around that. Yeah, it's pretty normal. You didn't did, did, like. It did, sorry, did it feel normal to you, or were you aware at, early on that you were like a little strange? At that no, at, at that stage there was nothing really. I was just going to uh, play school. Um, at that stage, and I went to the, I did junior infants in Cork City and St Finbars in Cork, and then my dad got his first um, a promotion from Jesus, as I like to say, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, he got asked basically to go out to East Cork and to start a church in Middleton, and that's oh, where, start his own church. Yes, but they, they, does so. We, we, sorry, the Cor- is it Cork Baptist Church? Is so that now was his... Baptist at the time. So he was that's kind of part of an affiliate of Baptist churches around Ireland, essentially. And they're hooked into a crowd called Baptist Missions, who are actually based in Belfast. Um, so it was 1990 when we moved out to to Middleton um, and to an, uh, an estate there that my dad always says he got the house because it was the cheapest. Um, again, we didn't have any many money, the cheapest he could get. And people calling him and going, you can't raise your family there. That's not... It's too dangerous there. You know? In Middleton? Well, it's, it's a specific, there's a couple of estates in Middleton. Yeah. That are fucking wild. Um, it's hard because they're not the same size as the Glen. They're small, but it's that kind of culture. That, no, that I know every town has that, yeah. that that estate. Yeah, for sure. So that's interesting. So your your dad is this intelligent Baptist minister, but yet you guys are living in you know one of the you know that that area. Mm, yeah, you know, the place that everyone turns their nose up at. Yeah, and people as I grew older, like I, I hate like I make. I do make fun of it on stage, but I actually did love it there. But it was tough. You ha- you have to be honest about it, and and I don't want to. And ta- did you feel different though? So you're because you're like yeah, early early days straight away. You knew uh, we're we knew we were different because they they would. Uh, I was good friends with the neighbours, but they would always take the piss out of me. For example, because you know my dad had silly things sometimes that now he would go, yeah, that was ridiculous. I shouldn't. But he would say like, you know the way kids used to record songs off the radio, and you'd you'd yeah. record on your tape. And my dad, but he can't do that. That's piracy and all this. You know, he'd be given out to them, and it's just like for fuck's sake. So then I'd get, the, I'd get the brunt of that. Oh, you shouldn't be listening to this now. Your fucking dad will kill us and blah blah, all that kind of stuff. Right. So, so your dad's oddities were noticed. Yeah, straight what away. Because I mean, I guess like you guys are are, are Protestant sort of. I mean, yeah, it's yeah. Not really like Protestant, Protestant extremists. Yeah, but like, did, did you have to deal with that shit? Um. In in oh like of them making fun of us and yeah. stuff. Oh yeah, but because the first church building that they had was a, a play school, which is at the end of our estate, which is a prefab. So we're all down there on Sunday morning. No, nobody's going to church. Nobody's going to mass these days anymore. Like everyone's, no one in the neighborhood went to mass. But they'd hear sing songs and guitars at eleven a.m. on a there, Sunday morning. But were there many people showing up at the Middleton Baptist Church? There was, it was, I think it started off at about like 15, 20 people maybe. And some of those people would have been spread from people that were traveling all the way down to Cork Baptist Church. So they were from Yall, Castle Martyr, Killa, all those areas. Yes. So this was like, there's a need for a church out here. So that's why my dad went out to start oh, okay. it. okay. Um, so it was it was majority. Actually, when it first and he, started. But he was the preacher. He was the preacher, yeah. And, and like, he, was, he was a young was, man as well. What was the energy of your dad's preaching? You know what? What was what was his? Did, did you ever? Did you impersonate him when you were a teenager and stuff? Oh like yeah, that? yeah, yeah. So because he do he do things like you know, they, you know, Lord Jesus says, look, and I'm doing a physical thing. You won't see it, but he'd have his hands like a claw when he was trying to make a point, and the cork <laughs> would really come out with him. I'll never forget one day he was talking about when Jesus went into the market, and he didn't like that every the Pharisees were selling and making money, but they were using the temple to, to sell yeah, a place, yeah, and he's yeah. like. 
so my dad was telling this story about how Jesus was disgusted at how people weren't doing this. But as my dad is, is preaching from this bit of the Bible, everyone's nodding off in the fucking in the congregation. They're all having, you know, it's they've had a long week. Do you know what I mean? They've heard this story before. The few people are, are you know, nodding off slowly but surely. And my dad loses it and kind of says, and Jesus was so angry that he started throwing stuff around the back. And he punks a table across the top of the, <laughs> across the, top of the, uh, the church. It was a guy who do stuff like that. And um, there was one time so that... So your they, dad has a, st- a strong Cork accent? Yeah, I mean, I don't. I suppose I don't see it like that. But yeah, everybody. But says when he was he does. preaching, he yeah, did. especially when we were living down there, and um, he would. Uh, he's got a strong Cork temper as well. That's right. for sure, man. He had a fucking temper when we were kids. And that did was, you guys like singing there and everything? Lots of singing. That's the thing about being down in that prefab in the play school. You know, you don't want to get noticed. You don't want to stand out. But all they can hear from the play school on a Sunday morning is, "We have decided to follow Jesus." <laughs> <laughs> The baptism. Were your songs completely different? Um, I, I, I've noticed a couple of crossovers because I didn't go to a lot of mass, so I wouldn't know a lot of them. But yeah, completely. Everything at the time was um, in that church was was hymn books, um, and then, but yeah, we. I mean, did you ever get into like the modern Christian shit? I didn't get into Cause it because I've no, but I mean, like, did they? Because I've gone to a few born again churches in oh, Ireland. Have you? Right. I have been to a few. Yeah, and. I, you know, it, it is a bit like Christian karaoke, but you guys... Yeah, yeah, yeah. I went to a massive one in Dundalk. Right, yeah, yeah. But it was very Christian karaoke. Yeah, There, w- there was Christian uh, screens. Rock. Yeah, well, there was screens yeah, for the with words. the words. Yeah, yeah. Did you have all that? Yeah, you would, yeah you'd have that. Um, used to be, I, that used to be my job. We used to have to do, put it up on acetates. So I'd have to change it over when the verse changed or, or, <laughs> or scroll it up slowly. <laughs> what, on an overhead projector? <laughs> on an overhead projector. But if I wasn't paying attention, you get a fucking slap in the head. <laughs> so, yeah, I was, I was an acetates boy. I wasn't the altar boy. I was an acetates boy. Um, <laughs> Most people are into acid, acid house. You're yeah, into exactly. Acetate, I was an acetate boy. Acetate Christian rock. Yeah. So, okay. So, anyway. So, your entire adolescence then is in this estate, yeah? Do you um, up until uh, 14, I would say, like, so I was from from 4 till 14, the whole of the 90s, I was in, in that estate, um, which is an interesting time because in my primary school, it was actually okay because I actually went to a Protestant primary school, so it wasn't really oh, you did. That, that big of a deal. Was but that I, like the feeder school to Middleton College? Yeah, it All was right, St. John okay. the Baptist, yeah. Okay. Um, but we did not have the money to be going to Middle, Middleton College, yes. so we didn't go there, but we went to the primary school, and it, and it, it was good, um, but we were already, we were different in every way in the neighborhood, from my, from my mum being a foreigner to us being a different religion. We also went to St. John the Baptist. Nobody went to that school in our neighborhood. So yeah, we, so we had, these kids, I'd say the majority of them are quite wealthy, right? Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. They're Protestant wealthy. Yeah, they all had land and stuff like that outside yes, of the town. Yes. None of them were from the town. Um, and yeah, they all they're all pretty pretty healthy. Yeah, loads of farmers. Fucking Bally, with the Ballymaloo people in there. They're yes, Quakers. yeah, yeah. Uh, the Hides were there. They were great. We used to babysit the Hides. They they're the ones who started the Ballymaloo relish. So my mum used to babysit one of them. We used to get paid in jars of relish, which was amazing. I'm still addicted to Ballymaloo relish to this day. <laughs> um, no, because I do shows down there. But he was telling me they're Quakers. Yes, they are Quakers. Yeah, yeah. 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 Anyway, and uh, lovely, lovely family. And one of the Allens was in was in sixth class when I just started or something. Yeah, like that. yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah, so the primary school was actually fine, um, but we were a bit weird for go- in the, in the estate for going to that school. Of course, yeah. Um, you're the only prods. You're the only yeah. people that give a shit about education. Yeah, probably. Yeah, that's a, yeah. It's a good. It is a good part. I struggled in school. Now I wasn't. I got pe- I got kept back in fifth class, and that was. 
fucking mortifying, really? bro. Yeah, yeah. Interesting. Mortifying. And I remember I did uh, fifth and sixth class again. Because there was a lot of shame around the kid that got left back, wasn't there? Oh, uh, it was the worst feeling in the world when, especially when fifth and sixth class were in the same classroom. So they weren't in separate classes. Fifth and sixth were taught together. Oh, God. So I had to come in the next year and it was a f- I was like, I remember being last into the classroom and uh, they're like, oh, there's no room for Stephen. And the teacher's like, no, he's sitting over there because he's doing fifth class again. Oh so everybody whose class I was supposed to be in, I just had to sat in the opposite side of the room to him. So that was a mortifying first week or so. That was for sure. At least you got to stay with your friends, though. Uh, yeah, for one year. And then they were all off in the secondary school and I was doing sixth class again. Um, that was tough. That was fucking... Yeah, fuck, man. Uh, it was, like, highly embarrassing. I remember my dad bringing me... Was it because of your grades? Yeah. Lack of interest? Yeah. They started me school too young, or to be you honest with you. Or you just fucking tick. <laughs> <laughs> they started me school too young. Um, so I started... I just... Um, I was three... Oh, so, so in actual fact, age-wise, you, you were I fine when right. you got left back. Yeah, because I was still young when I went to secondary school ah, after being kept back. Oh, right. So, yeah. so in actual fact, they, 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 they put they you started in me too, too young. Yeah, yeah I, was, I was three turning four when I started primary school. Yeah, and that can be tough because, yeah. you know, there's a, lot of, uh, there's a lot of development in a year back in the, at that age. Big time, you know? big time. But I made it my, my life's work to finish top of the class and everything when I was repeating it and get in trouble as much as I could. So I did that. <laughs> um Finished top of the class and fifth class and sixth class. I oh, won. There you go. I won all the uh, sports so it, awards it and all move. that. It was a good move. It was. Yeah. Know, it's literally just like putting a player out on loan. Yeah. You know, you just like yeah. this guy's going to be great, but right now he needs to build up his confidence in yeah. League One. Yeah, yeah. And it was you like know? it was it was things like it was just I actually did well once I knuckled down and it was I didn't have concentration and um, I was probably I probably couldn't see it at the time, but I was, probably was immature in comparison to the other kids yeah it, it, it was a good move they shouldn't yeah. have started you early because I still started secondary school at 12 which is still young enough now most yeah. people are doing it at 13 you know so what happened at 14 you moved 14 we moved to Dublin oh because um, he got another job uh, he got a he got a promotion from Jesus again and we moved up to Dublin and um, I think the issue the tough bit of that point because I had moved on to secondary school you know Yes. Um, so I went to the Christian Brothers, which again, nobody went Oh my went God, to. you switched to a fucking... <laughs> yeah, yeah, hardcore other side. Um, but it's because there's no way we were going to Middle, Middleton College, because we can't afford that. And the community school, the tech, was where everyone from our estate went, but my mom and dad didn't want me going there, so uh, I went to the Christian Brothers. Um, and I was enjoying it, but I think it was just... It was mayhem again, and after I kind of fell behind straight away in first year, I fell behind again. Yeah, but it's tough to make a move at that age. Yeah. I didn't know anybody going to that school. Nobody. So when you went to first year and there's like 150, what, 200 Where were kids, you? Uh, I, this was in Middleton, in CBS in Middleton. Oh, sorry, you went to Middleton CBS. Yeah, yeah. Sorry, yeah. So I went to Middleton CBS but I, for two years, made all my friends there, and then we moved to Dublin. So it was just, it was mayhem. But even at that stage, I was getting into drinking and smoking, and I'd, I'd already lost my virginity by the time I was 12. Oh, so yeah, the, the wildness. The wildness. Um, so there was definitely a sense of, I was already juggling trying to not be getting in trouble at home so much and um, and be the cool kid outside. So I was wild because I was just trying to fit in all the time. I was, But it was normal enough adolescence, like in the, yeah. the wild, but... But you were just a uh, bit of a bit of a breakaway teenager. Nothing crazy, right? Yeah, nothing, nothing crazy. Just the. But just then you dropped out of school, right? I dropped out of school by the end of secondary school. Yeah, yeah. You never um, did your leaving. I didn't do my leaving. Yeah, essentially, and I failed my junior search. And what was go- so? 
by the time so by by the time I was like the big the moving from Cork to Dublin was huge for me because I was just about you gotta understand in that estate I was keeping people at bay but like you're only a uh, one wrong move away from having the shit kicked out of you. I had the shit kicked out of me a couple of times, but you know you had to but keep everybody at bay. In Middleton CBS, the, in, no, oh, in, in Dublin. In, so in, where did you go in Dublin? No, in, no, sorry, it, the shit kicked out of me in the estate in Middleton. Oh, sorry, yeah. I got you. Yeah. Um, but in Middleton CBS, it was fine. I was good. I always got away. I was good at sports. I did good at football and did good. At, I started. I took up hurling when I went to CBS and I did good at that. Um, so when I moved originally, when I moved to Dublin, we moved to Blanchestown. I went to Coolmine Community School, and that was just a fucking. It was just a shit show. It was like too much to. I was already juggling too much, you know. Yes. I was already. Was it a tough school? Um, I think it's apparently it's been a bit considered that now. I wouldn't have considered it tough at the time, not at all. But the right. year I was in was just a bad year. It was just and the class I got put into. It was just a bad class, and I don't like. I'm not to talk derogatory about any of the guys, but there was just a lot of kind of bullying going on in general. Yeah. I found the vibe in Dublin at that age completely different. This whole sure. the loyalty thing was like this streetwise being sly to somebody was funny or doing being kind of nasty under the you know, without somebody realizing it was really funny. And that was something that it was very different to Cork at the time. There was none of that going on where I had come from. Right. Little things like they used to do this thing in the corridors of the school, like when you're waiting for class, people would stand either side of the corridor on either side of the hall. And they would throw bits of rubbish or crumbs or whatever on the floor. And if you stepped on it while you were walking through that you didn't even know what this was, they'd kick the living shit out of you. <laughs> they just fucking boot the shit out. So that kind of, there was lots of sly little things going on. People who you, you're trying to make friends all the time, but it was hard to fit in. Obviously, you're the culture then in that situation as well. Yeah, you're a culture all of a you're sudden. You're a fucking culture, yeah. So, um, you're, you know, they're all taking the mickey out of it. So I only lasted a year in that school. Um, and it was ju- it was just a disaster, and then I moved to to Cabra School in Cabra, which was actually great. Right. I think but the still ma- a lot of lot of lot of transitions for a young guy. Yeah. At that stage, I think that was my fifth or sixth school by the time I was fifteen, um, and moved moved into and living in Dublin and Cork, and uh, yeah, I just wasn't I wasn't fitting in. And also, meanwhile, the whole time I'm trying to hide that my dad is a born again Christian preacher. Oh, right. Because so you, you, that was material for people. That was the fucking bullying. Oh, so you kept that on the down low. I kept that on that. From secondary school, going to secondary school in Middleton, for whatever reason I knew, people can't find out about A, the estate that I come from, and B, that my dad's a preacher. Right. Because he used to laugh at the right, estate. Right, so you're that I carrying around a lot of. Yeah. You're, you're really carrying around a lot of shame. Yeah. You're really feeling like there's something wrong with you, really. For sure. And not telling my parents that I'm having sex. <laughs> yes. But that, that's more universal. Exactly, yeah, yeah. But you don't realize that at the time, you know? Yes, yes. Yeah. So you're really carrying around a lot of junk. Yeah, yeah. Which culminates in you fucking leaving school. Kind of, yeah. It culminates in me um, leaving leaving uh, the school, and the first school in Dublin, going to the secondary, second school, and kind of feeling that... Well, what happened in the first school was like, it wasn't a great year, as I was saying. Yes. But I did the junior cert, and I f- like I fucking I failed it. Like, who okay. fails the junior cert? But I literally, at that stage, I had not done a tap of work for the whole of secondary school because I was constantly missing school. Didn't want to go because you know, I, I found an old um, actually, you know, the diaries that you have to write down your homework that they yeah. give you in school. I found one of those recently. Fucking sick notes every week, <laughs> just not going in, not going in, not going in. And I was I was signing them myself as well and shit like that. But I get that, bro. I had the exact same experience. My yeah. first year in school in America, a couple of groups turned on me. Right, yes. And the stress of that, Fuck I just me, completely I'd... withdrew from school. And I, I spent most of my time trying to avoid doing homework. I remember I, uh, you know, there was, I started to get in trouble, like, in terms of my academics. Yes. So then suddenly my mother was, like, putting me under pressure to do my homework. But I was also fucking tired at night. And uh, so 
she'd have me sitting there and then I would go to the bathroom right and I would sleep in the bath and then eventually she'd notice she'd be like Desmond I'm like I'm just in the bathroom but I'd be like I'd been asleep for oh half an hour God. in the bath because I just the didn't fucking stress I, of that yeah I couldn't deal with fucking doing the, at, the, at that time yeah. I couldn't deal with doing the work but there's yeah there's too much stress going on in your life at that age like it's too pe- much to deal with it's too much to deal with you can't be sitting down doing fucking algebra then you know it's just yeah like, and nobody nobody talked about bullying and nobody talked no. about anxiety no I was like I, I remember because I, I was I was in therapy in therapy I was with a therapist for a while uh, later la- on la- later on in my life and uh, he said to me yeah not everybody wets the bed till they're 14 Stephen and I, <laughs> I just realised you know I'm to go oh fuck right yeah so that was an issue you know I was pissing oh, so the bed in secondary school oh man. right so you really had a lot going on I was yeah I was p- yeah and it was embarrassing but I was like there was also times that, that well, you I was know, doing that too but only in blackouts right yeah 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 but that that was an issue because I think I was just fucking non-stop anxious about stuff all that sure also, like, when we were living at home like my, again my mom by her own admission right it was says that she was not a good mother and I got the brunt of a lot of that because I'm the eldest but she would be fucking stressing and about mm. money all the time so if I went out and played football and fell over and ripped my tracksuit bottoms that we just gotten done stores. It's fucking war at home. Do you know what I mean? Because we yeah. don't have the money, the credit Unnecess- card bill, yes. blah, 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 blah. And I'm getting, I'm hearing about the budget all the time, the household budget. Yes. Um, and and, I, and part of a lot of the stuff that she would have gone through as a child, she started doing to me. Yeah, you know, she, she passed was, it on to so, you. Yeah, so she starts beating the shit out of me all the time at a certain point. My dad starts to do it as well, which is, I, I look back on and go, that's not very holy. <laughs> yeah, You know what I mean? But um, but these are all part of my life. And I, and I used to piss the bed all the time. And I remember one night in particular being in the bath in Middleton after, you know, trying to wash myself after having pissed the bed again. And my dad was so angry, he threw the pissed stained sheets at me, like, Jeez. in the bath. And I was like, fucking hell, I'm useless. So even at that age, that sense of, like, I'm fucking useless. And how do your parents feel about... Because obviously now you're speaking so publicly about this. Yeah, I haven't said that one now. Oh, right. (laughs) Um, No, I know, but how do they... I don't know. There's I, a, you've obviously talked to them about the fact that it was too stressful as a child. No, I've never have. Oh, you haven't? No, I never have. And we haven't. There's a, because of because of how dark things got. By the time I was uh, seventeen, eighteen, nineteen, um, there was so much that happened at that time that it was so extreme that I think for, I think for a good ten years after that, all of my family held a lot of shit against me. Oh, against you? Yeah, because I became a very. Uh, I had like. The drug abuse issues became so that I was a very violent person, very argumentative person, and um, and dr- um, alcohol as issues as well. It just led to it being a very volatile home, very violent home uh, when we were in in Dublin uh, after after I'd moved to Dublin. So for whatever reason, that the conclusion of it was we kind of let's just fucking carry on and not talk about it. I think kind of a thing. Right. Um, I mean, my dad only found out years afterwards that I was getting high in my room all the time you know after I was in my early 20s I went on to work with charities with people with drug issues and drug abuse issues in their lives and I had a panic attack one day in work because I was doing a key work and session with a guy and he had uh, slipped he had a slip up he was a heroin user he had a slip up and he was telling me about the time he shot up uh, and what it felt like and all that stuff and I had to fucking recoil into a bathroom having a panic attack because it felt exactly what he was going through the me- mentally what he was going through was exactly what I used to do every night when I was getting high in my room 
just this whole space of being so fucking down, but planning and pre-planning yes. and, and just you know that you're just looking to to just fuck get out. Literally, so get when did out you become aware that you had like a, a drug problem? Probably not till. Uh, Honestly, not till a year after I was in therapy and I had stopped everything, but... Oh, so um, let's back up. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so what happened was when I went to the second school in in Dublin after having finished... In Cabra. In Cabra. After I'd failed my junior start, I went to this other school. And that school was great for me because there was... The, at least it took away one tension because it was all boys. And I felt that in the other school with the girls thing. I was popular with the girls, but the lads would hold that against me as well. Mm-hmm. So there was a never-ending. So that tension was gone. There's no girls around, so it, it, that tension is gone. And I was good at hurling. And you know, Bernard, I was on the same team as Bernard Brogan and Mick Carton and Alan Nolan, all these guys who went on to play for Dublin yes. for years and won All-Ireland medals and all that. So that particular team, we won a lot of medals. So I felt good. I felt part of something. But the academics was not happening. Because at that stage, I'd been three or four years in secondary school, and I have not done anything. I have not applied any work at all. Yeah. Um, and it just so happened I was I was starting to drink a lot, and that was part of the GAA culture as well. You'd you'd have a match and. Uh, yeah, but you're just a normal Irish. Teenager. Yeah, normal Irish kid, but I was getting drunk because I needed to get drunk from a very young age. Sure, I, I completely identify yeah. with that. And uh, so then. I just got pulled out of class one day, man, and they apparently had noticed that there was something wrong with me. The teachers were worried about me. And the principal pulled me out of class one day, and he said, um, look, the teachers are worried about you, and your mother's actually called as well, and she's worried about you. And this guy, um, Lord rest him, he said, yeah, I heard he passed away recently, uh, Jack Cleary. He was a lovely principal and a great man, and he was really good to me because he could see I was struggling with stuff. Yes. Um, he sent me up to the school counselor, and she asked me a few questions and stuff, and she said that I was suffering from depression and have you ever heard of this and I was like nah I have no clue what you're talking about she said well your dad's going to come and collect you now and um, I think I was just unmotivated and I know at that time while the hurling was going good and stuff like that I didn't see what I was going to be doing with my life I didn't see where I was going I didn't school finishes I remember me and another lad looking at each other one of the teachers said no leaving cert no life and the two of us looking at each other knowing that we're well, fucked we, we're not getting a fucking leaving cert <laughs> um, and we had no idea what we were going to be doing um, and so my dad picked me up that day after the day with the counsellor brought me down to a doctor and he started me on tablets and that was oh really yeah so I went straight to straight to that and, and it was literally just from a counsellor saying, I think you're depressed. Well, I, I, I assume, I don't know, we haven't gone back into it, but evidently a lot of people have been talking about me behind my back. Right. And hadn't come and talked to me. So my parents were, were worried and they brought me to this guy who was apparently a specialist in this area and he was a family friend of one of the guys in the church and he was good with this kind of thing, apparently. And he um, was the guy to go see and he just started me on antidepressants. And that was but, a good... But, but you, were you personally at that time aware that you were feeling like a blackness or a I don't think I did no I, I think I, I, I don't think I had much hope maybe yeah and I was constant, I was still in the firing but line but were you suicidal not at that point no right. no way no 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 I wasn't uh, never uh, the answer you want when you ask somebody were you suicidal not, not at that point <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> that, that comes later yeah, in the story yeah, <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah it does it, it, no at that point no I wasn't and on paper, apart from academically, on things were going well. My family life definitely wasn't great. And so I, were you surprised then when they were like, you need to get the tablets? Um, I kind of felt, to be honest with you, I felt, I do remember feeling a sense of relief, kind of going, oh, there's something wrong with me, so okay. I'll get sick. And I, I, I'll get better, sorry. And I took it as like, well, I'm sick, so these are going to make me better. Mm-hmm. And I had a girlfriend at the time, and um, 
mem- I remember explaining it to her and she's like yeah cool that's totally cool but I think what unbeknownst to every nobody monitored my intake of these tablets and every time I would just go back and he would just up and say how are you feeling well not great to be honest with you and he would just up the dosage up and were you dosage. aware that you were actually scheming the system were you starting to get into no no not, okay. n- not at all at this point but because they just kept, the more and more I would say I'm I think the diagnosis probably well their diagnosis probably stressed me out even more and um, nobody was monitoring my intake of these tablets and what I know now is you cannot fuck around with these tablets you have to take them every day you can't be skipping them you yes. have to you have to respect what they do same with sleeping tablets I, I started on sleeping tablets started getting them off my dad first and then they were giving you sleeping tablets? well he said if you can't sleep I have a tablet whatever and then, then the doctor started giving me sleeping tablets and every time I would go back and say no I'm not better I'm not better they would just up it and up it up it until a point that they wouldn't give me any more because they're like, well, this is as high as you can go. So then they would just switch the, they would switch the, not the brand or the type of antidepressant that I was on. And in the meantime, while all this is going on, the youth groups of the church that I'm in in Dublin, the leaders are coming and having chats at me and saying, they're literally trying to pull out of me kind of what is it that you've done? Because there's something that you've done that makes you feel this way kind of thing, you know? All right. So, 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 they're just making an assumption that there's some sort of yeah that I've fucked up or that, shame or that I've got some shame that I've to um, let out and that's why I'm feeling this way blah 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 so I'm dealing with that I'll never forget one God bless him an American dude is like man you can you can tell me whatever I've heard it all don't be worrying about it and started telling me about his marital issues to try and like be on the same level oh yeah he's trying to get you to come trying to get me and he's talking to me about wanking and all this stuff and I'm like this is going to be the worst well, he's TJ talking, Fridays saying ever saying that he's feeling bad about wanking yeah yeah watching porn I'm like you're a fucking weirdo <laughs> um, you know I don't know what it is but I'm always so unlucky in Ireland I always end up behind the car that doesn't have their fucking money ready yeah it seems to happen to me a lot at as well. the toll Maybe it just I mean, they don't even seem to be looking for the money. In front. Oh, here we go. Well, it's now, a very small basket now here you can't at reach. the Drahada. Slam dunk, baby. Well we done. That was, a good, that was a good dunk, to be fair. Yeah, I'm sorry to interrupt. So this guy... Anyway, long story short, that, that, certainly, what, that, that certainly wasn't what was driving you. Um, you know, like, you, it wasn't... They were wrong to be thinking that. Yeah. I, no, I think that the... the, the, the well, probably the, what, 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 they, what they should have been saying was... You know, was there some fucked up shit in your childhood? <laughs> yeah, and um, because the people that you want... I remember my, my poor dad kind of saying, well, one of the, one stage kind of going, look, if there's anything you ever want to talk about, I'm going to leave a jar here, and you can write it down, and you can put it in whenever you want. Oh, that was cool. And he was really trying, but I, I knew, it was like, I'm never going to do that, Dad. I'm never going to be able to tell you about the things that I've done, because we don't have that relationship yes. here, you know? Yeah. That, that trust is... You're told, like, we love you no matter what, but if you don't go to church on Sundays, you know, you're made to feel bad about it, and... Um, Blah, blah 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 so at that stage by the time we get where I'm starting on the pills let's not forget I'm getting very drunk on a regular basis right. before before these pills have started so that cocktail is not good not a good mix I mean as soon as I moved to Dublin I found out where the fuck who was drinking and uh, we used to go down um, we used to go watch Bohemians every uh, week or every second week and get all absolutely off our tits and go in there, 14, 15 years of age, hammered to the match, look for a fight or whatever, blah, blah, blah. And I'd be hung over half the time probably, you know? So I was getting drunk a lot. So by the time I start these antidepressants, I'm getting drunk 
and missing the antidepressants and moving the medications around and change them and I'm not respecting it. So the mood swings start to become really, oh really, really up and down. And so you start to really get into some mental health shit. Yeah. So then you realize. So then the depression be, starts to become rage. So there was like all sorts of episodes of like I didn't talk for a few days at one point. Um, literally, and I still can't explain that now. I don't know why. I don't know what was going on, but I would not talk to him. You could be screaming in my face, and I wouldn't open my mouth. Um, and that happened in my girlfriend's house at the time. My dad came to take me home and took me away for a few days, and I ran away a few times and didn't tell anybody. And um, I started to alcohol, drinking was definitely my the big one, my out. You know, that was I yes. needed. I needed to. That was the only way I was going to be able to express myself at all. And then. I, this this genuinely happened over the course of a couple of years. All these mood swings start to become a lot worse. I become very violent, like physical. Like I I smashed up the house at one point. That there was a lot of plaster work done on the walls in our house and new doors hung and stuff like that. And um, I attacked my dad a few times. And oh really? Well, he would have so he really would have attacked me as well. And, um, so a nice chaos. Yeah, a nice bit of chaos going on there. Should have been back in the Middleton estate. It would have just been normal. <laughs> yeah, I was thinking. Do you know what? Fucking, we saw where I'm living now. Anyway, fucking. Yeah, you'd hear quite regularly people beating the shit out of each other after a few drinks on the way home on a Sunday night. You know, it was awful. But yeah, all that shit was going on, and the irony of it being that we were trying to be the Christian family in the neighborhood, but all that shit was happening in our house as well. You know. Sure, sure, sure. Yeah. Um, so, I haven't seen Son of a Preacher Man, but I know it ends up with you being in a mental institution. Uh, it's that's the that's the that's the what do they call the end of the third act because yes. I get happy after that so I do yeah I, I ended up in psychiatric in, in Blanche basically oh you did Not and how old long. were you um, I can't it's embarrassing but I can't remember I think I was 17 maybe 18 um, 2004 is a year I don't really remember very well oh so you were a teenager yeah I was a teenager yeah um, and I can't even remember I think I'd, I'd dropped out of school at that point and I was working as an apprentice carpenter um, but I was I think the, what the, the worst bit started before before getting suicidal was I, I started getting high all the time by I'd seen a movie where a guy gets a load of tablets from his um he just had a load of tablets and just would crush them up and put them into a brandy glass and drink them and that's how he got high in his hotel room and, and what was the uh, what were the tablets I don't know what he had but what I would do was I'd, I'd make cocktails of antidepressants paracetamols neurofen plus sleeping tablets sleeping tablets were great for getting high that's what you see a lot of people around Dublin now they're on relaxers D5s yeah. and D10s and all that that's what they're high on because if you take these and you stay awake you're on, you're on this weird yeah you're nice like, and smooth yeah yeah exactly so I used to do that all the time, but I would mix it with, with whiskey and brandy and shit like that and just be in my room and, and write and just stare at the wall. And, like, I was just high. I used to love basically... Yeah, William Burroughs. Yeah, man. I used to love writing and, f- like, falling, falling asleep on the page because I was so high and wake up the next morning and see the scrawl and just, you know, that's... that's Drugstore w- cowboy. Yeah. Um, all right. So you really were, you know, essentially you were, you know, pretty, de- pretty deep into addiction. Yeah, and then certainly drug abuse, and because um, I because I because I did manage to stop, and and I can drink now. I don't like it. I don't like being drunk, but I can drink, um, and it's not. Well, big that's deal. not here nor there. That's not yeah. important. But um, but anyway, the that's when the, the, the I end up in. I can't quite remember what the incident was, but I've had a couple of overdose incidents where I know one time I like I'd taken a lot of I lost a lot of blood because I've. Um, basically hacked open my arm and uh, 
What? Yeah. I'd hacked open my arm with a bread knife. That's one of the jokes in the show. Uh, oh, ha ha ha. Yeah, well, no, no. <laughs> well, the joke, the, joke, the joke is I hacked open my arm open with a bread knife. My mother comes in to find me and goes, oh, no, not my good bread knife. She <laughs> did not. <laughs> no, she didn't. <laughs> but that's the joke um, in the show. That's the joke in the show, you know. The secret out of the bag. Yeah. And uh, I ended up... Uh, yeah, in a psychiatric... I only last... Like, I didn't... I went to see, I don't know how many psychologists that day, five or six, and they're like, yeah, you have to stay, you have to stay, you have to stay. And uh, I... Because the GP had sent me. Um, and my dad brought me down, and then I decided, like, I was there for a few hours, they tagged me up, I had the bed, and then I was like, not a fucking hope, I'm not staying here, I was freaking out. So they brought him back in, and they were trying to get him to sign me in. And oh, he, right, he didn't commit and you? He, and he didn't, and I fucking legged it that day. And I don't remember... If it was after that or after another incident, um, exactly. But there was some incident like that where I got up one morning and decided I was not drinking anymore and not taking tablets anymore, and I just did it. And fuck me, was I sick for months after that? Like cold oh, turkey. Oh, you had the cold turkey for big time. So yeah, so you never detoxed. No, no, and it was actually like you don't reckon that's it's not um. It's highly unrecommended. It's very dangerous to do that, even off alcohol. If you're an alcoholic, no, alcohol is worse than heroin. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. That's what the guy. That's what the, the therapist told me. He worked with heroin addicts. Well, because you can't. You, you heroin uh, withdrawals won't kill you, but alcohol no, withdrawals physical. can kill yes, you. Yes, exactly, exactly. Um, and so I had come off. I just stopped, and I remember being very fucking sick, like on build, working on building sites and not being able to lift shit and getting in trouble because I wasn't working hard. And but I couldn't fucking move, man. I remember after a football match one day, I wasn't playing, but. Um, I went down to meet the lads in the pub afterwards and I was just fucking in this state on the couch in the pub just like drooling and not being I was like, really? and sweating and Jesus. I didn't find out till a year later that that was cold turkey basically <laughs> oh so you didn't even know that you were withdrawing no. so all this getting high and like nobody knows about this this is all on its own and I then I started to tell the therapist exactly what it was and he explained to me well that's you know that's withdrawal symptoms and that's um yeah, you were you're you know you're feeling. And you sick did that without any support groups or anything. Nothing. I I I got I become became good friends with some guys that were in Cool Mine at the time. You know, Cool Mine. Yeah, Lodge. sure. I was gonna say I yeah. was actually gonna make a joke earlier that you're in the right place to get fucked up exactly, on drugs because yeah. you can just go next door to sort your shit out. Well, I I, I made some good friends. I was so jealous of them because they all had each other and they all had groups. Yeah, but they, they, they also had, had the day top theory, which was a, yeah, it's kind of a disproven theory nowadays. But okay. Cool Mine has moved on. But right, they, there was a time where they were using a little bit of a sort of a dated theory, which was to for uh, Vietnam vets coming back from Vietnam you know it was right, very, okay. very confrontational yes. very very sort of militant you know but yeah. anyway yeah, I believe that um, I believe it's it's a, it's a lot better nowadays you know yeah but I yeah I was like there's a couple of guys that were actually unfortunately saw one of them recently he was on the street there, oh he's he? back out there yeah. yeah that's the tough part you yeah. know so anyway, but that was good that you had those guys. So they tell you about like, yeah, you need to fucking. I was, I mean, I was well on the road to recovery at that point. But 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 when I had met them, I was like, I like for years afterwards, I didn't have much of a personality. I would not go into social situations. I would not fucking go to a pub where there was groups of people and became like I definitely in school. You see, I was a messer. I was a cheeky fucker. A bit of personality. And that was what fed into the getting high and the drinking and all that. It's like it's all fuel for the for the character that I'm keeping up to stop people laughing at me, you know. Yeah. Um, but uh, after you stop taking everything, I was left with no friends. My dad had tried to kick me out a couple of times, and we were just about. I was just about allowed to stay, be in the family home. And uh, and I had a job, and that was that was my life. I, that was it, really. Yeah, but that is a tough transition, and it's a tough transition for everybody who decides. 
you know, I mean, no matter how long the abuse goes on of alcohol or drugs, yeah. you know, and sometimes it's longer than others, but it is, it, it's, it's, it's a tough transition to think, well, what do I have in my life now? You know, you, you, you've, you've, you've kind of lost you your best friend. Yeah. yeah. You've, lo- you've, you've lost your identity. You've yeah. lost your, you know, everything that you do. So that's really difficult. And that's, what's great about like support groups. And you didn't have that. Yeah. No, there was no one to, cause I didn't even know what I was doing. You know, I didn't even know that I was that, like, if I had met that therapist earlier on, he would, and I was honest with people cause. So I, where did the therapist kick in? Um, it was after it was. I remember my mum making the rules. I'd, I'd gone to see a few counselors and it didn't work out because they were Christian counselors. And then this oh, guy, right. this guy was cool. He made me laugh and he was taking the piss out of me all the time. And he was an alcoholic himself. And he was like, "You think you're mad? I'm fucking mad." You know, sober alcoholic. Or? Yeah, yeah, sober. Um, but he still did the meetings and stuff. Oh and yeah, what was like? His name? He was like, <laughs> uh, he was. Uh, oh, I might know him. Uh, well, you don't know. He unfortunately passed away oh. recently. Um, uh, but he had a great name, the legendary Sean McDermott. Oh, right. Um, yeah, that name I is actually familiar mo- to me. I still, but that's neither here I still know his uh, phone number off by heart. Oh, right. Um, uh, You're the, the fucking the bat the <laughs> fucking bat phone. Yeah, 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 exactly. <laughs> but I lived for Fridays at 6 o'clock. My dad gave us his office in Blanchestown at the time. And we would meet there. And it was just like, it was genuinely a godsend to me. And that was the first time I got to it. You know, be honest and express, and um, I never told him about like the sex and stuff like that because I was still ashamed of all that shit. But you know, he knew, and you know, I knew he wouldn't but, judge me anyway. But if the I did. sex was just normal, right? Yeah. Well, yeah. But you oh. had this Christian shit going on. Yeah, I did. Yeah, I had this the, the Christian shame shit going on, and there was like Middleton was going through a really bad time. But after just after we moved, like the suicide rate had went through the roof. Yeah, that's after right. I For left. a while, it had the highest had a, suicide yeah, rate in Ireland. That's right. In Europe, at one point, apparently. Yeah, so I remember that. I remember that story. Yeah. So I was losing loads of mates like that, and then there was, you know, then I was going through my shit in Dublin. My old football coach got done for um, molesting kids, and you know, <laughs> it was just a Jesus, fucking bleak. How time. the fuck did you get into comedy? <laughs> you know, you know, I'll tell you what the problem with you is. You're the fucker that's reinforcing the stereotype that comedians are just sad fuckers but i don't i don't see myself like that at all like i'm the, kidding I, I'm yeah kidding. I don't you're, <laughs> you're in a safe space here now <laughs> um oh yeah uh i i, I didn't because i like if you were to see if you were to see, meet my teachers in school now like oh he was a messer you know he was a uh, i was always getting kicked out of class like for making jokes and shit like that are we here are we i think i i think we're close but oh. I, 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 it should be right around here but um, bridge clubs of Drahada are brilliant. Yeah, I don't. I I plan to park and continue this conversation. Absolutely. I'll worry about where the venue is now in a sec. But we're um, in the, we're in the general facility. Well, we'll see. Facility I mean, it's a, kind of an, a bit of an industrial area, to be honest. It's like old school industrial as well, though. Isn't yeah, it? yeah, yeah. It's a, it's a. To be honest, you, your parents contacted me and. You're being committed. <laughs> <laughs> We're I signing didn't, you. I didn't want to tell you until, <laughs> right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, your parents contacted yeah, me. Yeah, your teachers contacted me. Your the, missus has contacted me. The facade is up. Your daughter and, has uh, contacted me. We're aware me. that you've been crunching up tablets. And, uh, <laughs> this whole comedy thing is a, uh, is a fraud. All right, so so where does Son of a Preacher Man go then? Son as of a Preacher show? Man as a show starts with um, with my... Um, starts in Cork in the council estate. And... Um, and the you know just the general. But where does it go from what we know already? From so the show from what we from know. From what we know from this conversation is what I mean. If yeah the yeah the, so the end of the third act is the um, 
is the is the psychiatric ward and getting out of there and meeting the therapist and it goes oh, into, right. it goes into the comedy then of of my life on building sites and moving to London so you, you do skip a good 10 years there but right. moving to London and meeting my uh, my now uh, girlfriend and the mother of my yeah, child, my daughter a happy yeah. ending yeah and it goes now, into all that can you remember can you remember any like nuggets that Sean McDermott told you that like really stuck for you um there's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with plush care plush care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board certified physicians who can prescribe fda approved weight loss medications like wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify take charge of your health and speak with a board certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. He never said it, but what he was always teaching me was was not, not to take myself so seriously. Right. Um, he never he never used those words because he would never have done that because I would have been too sensitive to take that. But what he was always teaching me was like over the two, three years that I went to see him was not to take yourself so seriously and... Do you think that was almost like a try to like like don't be self centered? Don't well not self centered because it sounds negative, but I guess there is an element of of uh, you know you need to break free from your head. Yes, yeah, yeah. Just that the, the the more the more and more we talked about everything, the more and more he talked about that's normal. You know, he normalized everything. That's right. Of course, you're upset about that. Yeah. And that's okay. But you're you're good at this, and you're good at that, and you know you don't live in that. And did he ever get into? You know the stuff in your history that might have been driving that. No, no, he didn't, and I think I was I was grateful for that. I think I think you could probably, if I was to go again, you could probably go and find a, a load of other shit in there about that. And um, but no, he was very much of in in a lot of ways he was a, m- a lot more like a life coach because yes. he was taking what we have here now. What are the good things that you have here, and how do we move forward from there? Like the transition from where I went in my first year with him. Uh, I had just come out of a psychiatric ward. I was probably on the verge of getting sacked out of my job. Um, I was getting high all the time, and I had massive scars up my arm because of of doing damage to myself. And uh, I like had dependency issues on drugs. Right. Um, to a year later, having come back, uh, gone into the second year of my apprenticeship, and I was playing League of Ireland football. I oh, was were you? completely sober. I was, uh, um, I didn't have the girlfriend at the time, but I, I'd managed to, to, to gather something together and he was so proud of me and I was so thankful to him because he made, he, he actually gave me the connections in football to be able to progress in that. And I, I kind of got a, a bit of a clean slate, I got a bit of a clean start. Um, I moved football teams, I went to somewhere that nobody knew me, I was a young kid on the team and the lads looked up to me. I think the manager had a son who had gone through this similar kind of stuff so he knew what was going on. Never oh, really? asked me about it. And I said to him the first day, he uh, after training, uh, the manager said to me he's like, after the training session, he's like, well, Stephen, we'd like to sign you. Uh, uh, so Sean sent you down, and I immediately went, 
yeah I'm, they not, know. I'm, I'm not on drugs anymore <laughs> and he said i don't care what what you're doing you're here to play football and that's all that matters so we'd like you to sign and th- i knew i had a clean slate i didn't have to talk about anything i was very yeah. quiet in that dressing room you know the lads were i was 18 17 18 at that time the lads were all 27 28 and up so we're seeing right. football so i was the baby i was getting looked after you know and um yeah, it was just it was just a clean slate, and I went from that team on to play for in in a little bit of League of Ireland under twenty ones, and um, yeah, but but Sean taught me to to not take myself so seriously, and I probably looking back on that now, I'm quite a, I was quite a driven person, you know. So yes, to go from that one extreme to the other, I I always I think I still do have a bit of a chip on my shoulder that I got to prove myself to people, you know. Mm. I gotta, you know, I, I I've always like I. For years afterwards, I was going on dates, going, having to explain to the girl at the start, you know, I don't drink because, blah, 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 and telling them oh, everything. Yeah. It's just like, Jesus Christ, you don't need to do that. They don't need to know, you know. And uh, do you do you do you ever have a, do you ever have any resentment that, you know, for all the ability and potential that you had, I mean, you weren't really given, you weren't given the ultimate template to mm. to to blossom. No, I I I don't hold resentment f- about it, but I definitely have a chip on my shoulder about it. Yeah, for sure. Like I I I've, like I got into acting in my mid twenties, and um, I even struggled in that field because everybody had met, everybody knew everybody because they'd done four or five years in in drum sock and whatever university yeah. they went to. I was I was I did a gig in UCD recently actually for their freshers ball, and as a thirty four year old man, I was so jealous. I was like, "Fuck me, this would have been great." Right. Yeah. So I I feel that you know. Yes. Um, I feel like I would have liked to have gone through that, and I would have liked to have been part of something where I could have developed along with a, a bunch of other people of my peers or whatever like that. You know. Sure. Um. But at the same time, I do realize that it has given me the things that I've gone through has given me the ability to, you know, to express myself in the arts. I was never in- involved in the arts, but I had a band for a couple of years and I sang and I wrote the songs and then I got into acting. And the reason I got into acting was because of all the stuff I've been through. I was able to pretend yeah. to be a drug addict in the play. That was easy. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah, yeah, but you had a natural talent too. I mean, Yeah, you, yeah, you, for you, sure. You gravitate towards the things that you, you know... There must have been some other focuses, you know. There must have been some other things driving you towards that, you know. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. And just want you, you, you know. I definitely have lived a life since getting through that part of my life of wanting to be successful for myself, because I've never felt successful at anything that sure. I've done. Do you know what I mean? So you kind of want to. Well, you don't want to lose. You don't want to get too content. No. Because then you you know you lose a little bit of your drive, but then at the Would same you time, be, yeah. well, you don't want the irrational drive yeah. that is uh, unquenchable, yeah. and it, it, you know w- w- can leave you a bit empty at the end of it all. Yeah. But at the same time, it's good to. I mean, I've never known a life without dysfunction, but I just think it would be awful to have none at all. <laughs> It'd be, it would, what would you talk about on stage? Like, yeah, yeah but even nothing. just like, you know, what, what would push you, you know? Yeah. What, what would keep you fucking ticking over? What would light the fire? But yeah, that's yeah. really just... Uh, that's the, that's that's the wounded man's philosophy because, you know, somebody who's never truly known absolute peace will always think ah, life would sh- be shit if you were just happy. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it would. Yeah, well, I mean, I'm kidding, of course. But but uh, but, but, but you, you, you do, like I do look at the. I definitely have a different perspective on things that I would like. Yeah, you're supposed to go. You're not. I don't believe you're supposed to be happy in life either. Do you know what I mean? Like no, I think you meant that. to be all things. Yeah, you know, all things. You can't yeah. be just happiness is not a goal. Happiness no. is one of the many things. Yeah, that, that happens. That that happens throughout yeah. your life. 
for sure. And I've learned so much. Like, I've been able to do so many things. Like, the work I did with the charity that I worked with for a couple of years, you know. I was only able to do that because of because of where I grew up and the the kind of family I grew up in. We were good with people. We always met people from around the world all the time because of being in a church. So I was good at talking to people from all uh, uh, backgrounds in life. And then the struggles that I had been through, it meant that I was really good at the charity work as well. Yeah. Know? Oh, so, yeah, sure. I mean, it makes you who you are. Yeah, for sure, man. You know, sure. I mean, there's part of me that's like annoyed that I was allowed to come to Ireland when I was 14. Like, I probably shouldn't have been here on my own, sort of semi looking after myself. But then on the flip side, it's like, I'd hate to be, I'd hate to be the Des that didn't come to Ireland at 14 yeah. and doesn't know about both cultures. And, you know, like, yeah, so man. it's like, you, you, you take the good with the bad. You've got to, yeah, but you've had a completely other yeah. kind of life. It's crazy. A hundred percent, yeah. But you take, you know, you take the good with the bad and you never know. I mean, I, 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 who, I love these people say, I, I look back on my life. And, uh, you know, I have I have no regrets. And I think, well, okay, I, I can understand the sense of having no regret, but who can look back on their life and not think, wow, there could have been some stuff that was yeah, better. Yeah, for know, sure. Like, it's Obviously. Just, it's only natural. It can't totally be perfect. Natural. You only get one go, and sometimes you're going to make mistakes. Now, I get it. You, you don't regret those mistakes, but at the same time, it's hard not to look back and think like, oh, there would have been so many better scenarios. Yeah. And But I'm, I'm content with where I am uh, today, you know? Yeah. I think some people like to like to look on the past with, with rose-tinted glass. I don't mean that in a defeatist way. I just think people are afraid. I think sometimes people are like, it's not okay to be like, you know what? I would have preferred if my mother was calm. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. For sure. Yeah, you know, definitely. I, I, you know, I... I I, I would have preferred if I, you know, was had had a, had more awareness of where I wanted my comedy to go uh, in 2004. <laughs> yeah, you have any Most regrets about yeah. your career? No, I have no regrets about <laughs> yeah. my career. I made perfect to... decisions every fucking step of the way. Yeah, right. You're fucking full of shit. Yeah, yeah. And you're so, going to learn by making mistakes, man. Of I course. mean, since we're going to have you on the podcast more, I, I you know, I, I think maybe we'll just leave it there. But the last thing I wanted to say is, you know, there's a lot to... It's a lot to deal with. And I think we'll talk a little bit more about your mom some other time. Because I, sure. I love those mom conversations. But do you ever think do you ever think that for a guy that's been through so much mental health stuff and stuff with drugs, stand up comedy is like it's not the most stable place. The emotionally industry. and mentally. Yeah. No, uh, yeah, for sure. Um Do you I ever agree. wonder if you ended up here uh, you know, for bad reasons? No, I'm not. I'm not that. Like, I'm not emotionally attached to that stuff anymore. Right. And I'm. I'm very much uh, aware of. Of. Uh, I'm very focused in this, and I'm very. But and also, but also completely realistic as well. And kind yes. of going, you know, these are the pitfalls. These are the challenges that you're up against. And I'm very motivated. Um, and I mean, that is the end of Son of a Preacher, man. I'm motivated because, um, again, another <laughs> literally a mistake in my life, but an unplanned pregnancy after <laughs> meeting somebody after seven months. Um, and we're still working at it and you know I'm we have an amazing daughter and we have a home in Dublin and we're very grateful for that but that stuff gives me focus because I'm not yes. you know I'm not fucking about anymore you know I'm not going to work every evening um just for a jolly or to have a few pints or to uh, you know I'm not chasing some ladies or any or any of that kind of stuff yeah. it's because it's like you know um, this is what I this is what I'm at now, and I don't have <laughs> don't have a, a degree to fall back on or anything like that. You know? <laughs> I don't have my junior cert to fall back One, on now. <laughs> <laughs> so I got to fucking crack on, you know. Um, and uh, yeah, it's 
It is. It is a mad. It, it, yeah, it isn't necessarily the most the most stable thing. But like, I definitely wouldn't change. You know, if it doesn't work out, it doesn't work out. But you know, you give it fucking everything. Why not leave it all out on the floor, man? You yeah, know? and it's good to be passionate about something. Yeah, yeah, and I and I do love. I love the I love the industry, and I do love the the. It, it, for me, it comes back to exactly when I when I first started writing songs. The first songs I was writing were the most depressing fucking things ever because of where it was. But when we when we got the band going and some of the stuff I was writing about then and the inspiration that I had from various writers was just like you're just singing about dreams about things that you you know think are it's, it's a great idea or you know inspirational stuff. And stand up comedy for me gives you that same thing that you write something, you go and you give it to the people straight away. You go and you do it. There's no fucking about. You're not waiting for anybody in between. You go. And you fucking do it. Um, that was my struggle with acting: is that you have to wait for other people to get yes. involved, audition, blah blah blah. You write yeah, a song, no, you go that, sing it. You write a joke, you go do it. You go perform it. Yeah, that's yeah. one of the great things about stand up. Yeah, just can't guarantee. You write a joke, you go do it, and you get paid. The last part is not the guarantee. Not the guarantee. Yeah, for <laughs> sure. All right. Well, listen, we gotta fucking go do a show. We gotta do some work. We're Andrada. We gotta find this fucking venue because I've never played it before. And. Um, Sure. If if we decide we want to add more, we can do it on the way back, or we can just leave it until the next time. Till the next time. Yeah. Either way, it was great chatting to you. Thanks, bro. Pleasure as always. So thanks, thanks to Steve. Thanks to you guys for listening. Um, I was a bit distracted at the beginning of the you know when I was doing the intro because I don't know if anybody has ever had blocked ears, but. Uh, I've my ears have been blocked for like a week, and they're actually starting to. You know, I've been putting a little bit of a earwax softener in my ears. And I apologize if that's disgusting for people, but um, I uh, I'm at that phase where it's starting to open up, but it kept opening and closing on me the whole time. And so the whole time, I guess because I have earphones in, and every time I move my mouth. It moves my ear, and sometimes it's open and sometimes it's shut, which is still happening now, by the way. So I was trying to, oh, wow, that's, it just opened up there now. Wow, I can just hear so nice right now, and it'll shut again in a sec. But oh, my God, it's it's like, it, 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 uh, there, it's shut again. It's so weird to have that experience. But when it opens, it's it's amazing. I really cherish those moments where it opens up a bit. It's so wonderful to hear completely. And I've been dealing with that for a while. But anyway, that's neither here nor there. Uh, thanks for um, thanks for listening again. It's great to have the Des Bishop podcast because I, I love the shift. And the shift has really taken off. Uh, and, you know, I, I did this. I have a, I have a bit uh, that's gone a bit viral on Facebook this last week. And that's driving a lot of people to the shift. And hopefully it drives people to the Des Bishop podcast. But uh, anyway, I just, I need the Des Bishop podcast because I need to be able to talk about things like the conversations we just had a bit more serious, not the same pressure uh, to just be funny. I guess uh, the stories behind the jokes sometimes, the stories behind the funny people. And and it won't always be comedians, but that's just kind of a, a convenience uh, a lot of the time in terms of the people that we chat to. Um, so... Steve's going to be a regular contributor to the podcast. I, you know, some of the episodes are, are just going to be like talking about a th- an issue with a few of our regular contributors just to take the pressure off. And I hope you guys will enjoy that too. Um, I think people used to enjoy just me chatting on my own. And it's, essentially, it's just a version of that, talking about stuff. Uh, and so I think, let's say Friday is going to be the day. And I, I'd like this to be like weekend listening. So that there's no, 
You know, there's no, I mean, it'll be up Friday. You can listen to it on your way home on a Friday, you know, but it's also like chilling at home, maybe a bit of a hangover. It's a bit gentle, you know? So anyway, that's it, guys. Give us five stars on iTunes. Obviously, I know that a lot of people unsubscribed because I didn't put up an episode since, you know, I, I really, it hasn't been regular for a year. So I know a lot of people have unsubscribed. So please subscribe again if you used to subscribe. Tell people that the podcast is back. Give us five stars on iTunes. Uh, we're on Spotify. It doesn't show up great in the search yet, but I, I only just put it on Spotify last week. But eventually it will show up well in the search. But I'll be putting uh, swipes on Instagram if you're looking for it on uh, on Spotify. Uh, you know, obviously the five stars and the comments on iTunes really help our positioning on the charts, which is positive for us. But if you listen on Spotify or on the Acast app or on um, CastBox, any of those sites, uh, Stitcher, please like do a screenshot, put it up on Facebook, put it up on Instagram, uh, just help to get the word out about the podcast. Anyway, guys, uh, I'm in um, I'm in Clonmel and Tullamore next weekend. If you're in those parts of the world and you want to come see a show, Steve will be with me actually. So if you want to see a bit of uh, the, the comedy behind the man, behind the serious life, come and check us out next weekend. Clonmel and Tullamore. And then, of course, don't forget, Mia Mama Tour on sale now. My Dublin dates are in the Project Arts Center. I think there's some confusion about that. Project Arts Center. Google that. You'll find the ticket link. Or you can go to desbishop.net forward slash tour dates to check that out. So thanks, guys. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.